Good morning, Soma Church. My name is Brandon Shields, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Soma. We're so glad to have you join us this morning for the teaching portion of our Sunday gathering. Today, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking to you about some of the things that are happening in our country right now. Um, One op-ed piece I read this week described America as a tinderbox, and it really does have that feeling right now. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I think that we're in danger of, uh, as the church, the capital C church, uh, potentially missing a significant invitation from God in this moment. As I was reflecting on the video of George Floyd, um, watching that, as I know many of you have over the past week or so, um, I was just moved in my spirit to watch this 46-year-old black man, a a believer and a follower of Jesus, um, uh, sit underneath, lay underneath the knee of a police officer for eight minutes and 46 seconds until literally his breath was taken from his body, watching him cry out, I can't breathe, listening to him scream out in agony for his mom. It was heartbreaking, and there was an intensity and an urgency to this video and to the responses since then, a heaviness that feels more like 1965 than 2020. I think for many of us, it shatters, it continues to shatter the myth that we live in a post-racial society, one where race doesn't play a factor in outcomes and how people are treated. And I think it's opening some of our eyes and our hearts to the pain that is a daily reality for so many black and brown people in our country still today. As I stood last weekend um, with a couple thousand people downtown at a processional for racial justice, and um, we were gathered together, people of different um, denominations and faith traditions, all kind of gathered together to cry out to God for uh, justice. We kept saying this phrase, and I was thinking about this a lot over the past couple of days. We kept saying, we want justice now. We want justice now. And as I stood there with, my, uh, with some friends and with my family, and I reflected on that, I asked myself, what is it that we're longing for? What is it that we're crying out for as people gather across the country in cities. What is it that we're crying out for when we say we want justice? And in my mind began to think about this moment that we're in in the, in the larger church calendar, this moment of Pentecost, where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I begin to think, wow, what's, what's happening here is so much bigger, so much deeper um, than what we see with our eyes maybe what we see on the news at night. What's happening here is much more theological and spiritual, actually, than it is sociological and legal. And my mind began to really think about what is is this national unrest? What are these protests? What are these riots pointing us towards? What is going on? Like, what is going on? And I began to ask the Holy Spirit, "Would would you speak? Would you just help me understand this moment? And What I began to realize is that there's something underneath, there's something deeper that is happening. And I believe that in this moment of national unrest, social upheaval and protest, that they are pointing us to a collective human longing for the spirit of justice and reconciliation. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit now for a couple weeks, and I want to take a moment and pause this week from our focus on the spiritual gifts, but I want to stay in the stream of the Holy Spirit because I actually believe this has a lot to do with what the Spirit is doing in our country right now. The Holy Spirit is work not at work not just in the church, but also in culture and in society. He's bringing about his purposes in the world. And my mind went back 
to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, which we've talked about even in this series. We've talked about a lot as a church. And I went back to the very beginning, to the creation story of how God creates human beings, right? He scoops them up from the dust of the earth. And in Genesis chapter 2, God breathes. Remember, we studied the ruach, the breath, the wind of God. He breathes his breath, his spirit, his wind into human beings, and they become living souls, souls that are not just alive biologically, but souls that are fully alive spiritually and relationally and economically and vocationally, right? And all the ways that matter in terms of what it means to be human. We see here image bearers. God says in Genesis chapter 1, he created man and woman in his image for his glory, right? He says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. To be created in the image of God means that we were created to represent, to reflect God and his character and his nature and his purposes in the world, to enjoy his presence and his power and to extend that in the original context to the ends of the earth. This is a vision for what we call shalom or peace or flourishing or wholeness. And when we speak about the spirit of justice and reconciliation, we have to understand that shalom is the backdrop for understanding justice, biblically speaking. The theological vision here for justice we see throughout the scriptures is not primarily about laws, about retribution, or about punishing criminals, though that is part of the story. That is secondary, though. The main thrust in the Bible is concerned with the creation and the preservation of abundant life in all of its dimensions for all people, regardless of race or culture or ethnicity or background. Justice and righteousness throughout the Bible is concerned with people enjoying their image-bearing rights to basic, essential uh, pieces of human flourishing like dignity and worship and life and creative power and honor and equitable treatment. And God's, what we see in justice is God's powerful activity to correct the world, to correct injustices as they occur and as they threaten those basic fundamental rights of what it means to be created in the image of God as his children. When sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, through our first parents trying to play God, it unleashes the dark powers of injustice in our relationships and our social systems. And that becomes the story for the rest of human history. That's our story. That was their story. You see that in the book of Genesis playing out in family systems, where right after we, we hear this declaration about people becoming living souls and being created in the image of God, we see a brother uh, take the breath from another brother, Cain and Abel. We see a brother sold into slavery by his own brothers, Joseph. We see this work itself out in justice and political systems where God's people spent 400 years in slavery in the land of Egypt. We see this also throughout the rest of the Old Testament in religious systems where priests and judges abuse their power and they exploit, they exploit what one author calls the quartet of the vulnerable, the, the poor, the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan. And the point here that God is making when he says he hates injustice is that injustice robs people of their image-bearing capacities and potentials. And most tragically, and yet prominently throughout the Bible, it is seen when violently breath is stolen from vulnerable bodies. And that's why when we watch with horror on our iPhones and we hear a 46-year-old black man cry out, I can't breathe while he sits under the knee of an officer of the law, Derek Chauvin, who is commissioned to serve and protect his very breath. 
When we hear him cry, I can't breathe until his breath is snatched out of his body. We are reckoning as a country with something so much bigger and so much deeper than just police brutality, although it is that. For black and, black and brown people, the words and the imagery surrounding George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and on and on we could go, it, it, it serves to awaken a collective memory of a racialized social system that for 350 years literally stole the breath of millions of their ancestors by kidnapping them from their country, enslaving them in a place, a land not their own, lynching and raping and murdering them. All of it simultaneously and tragically underwritten and supported by the heretical theology and discipleship efforts of a large religious system of white pastors and churches and seminaries. And for the last 50 years, even since the civil rights movement, all of the gains we've made beyond Jim Crow, this system has in many ways continued to steal the breath out of so many, though now it's much more hidden than through socially acceptable means and through systems and laws and policies and structures and prejudices. But it still continues to deny the most vulnerable among us of their God-given economic and vocational, and medical, and educational, and legal rights and opportunities. And so when we hear these cries, I can't breathe, and we see these protests that sometimes turn into violent rioting, we don't condone the rioting for sure, but when we hear these cries, we must remember that we are reckoning with something much larger than the injustices of slavery and Jim Crow and systemic racism. We are reckoning with a theological injustice against the Holy Spirit of life himself. And I think what we are witnessing with these protests across the country is a crying out and a longing for God's Spirit to breathe new life again. The Spirit of God will not be suppressed. He will not be mocked. He will not be grieved forever. He will accomplish his purposes in the world, and he will awaken us to need for and an ability to carry out justice in the world. The good news is that injustice doesn't have the final word. Scripture teaches us that our God is a God of justice, that he loves justice because he loves life and he loves people. And he has been at work in the midst of the injustices of history to make right what went wrong in the world. If you think about the Old Testament, the rest of the story, we've talked about this time and time again, that God promises to give his people a second breath He promises to give his people a second wind that would blow on his anointed one, the Messiah, and bring true justice into the world. I think of a place like Isaiah 42, where uh, the prophet Isaiah says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And again, for the last several weeks, we've spent time unpacking that Uh, work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus, how the Spirit-filled Messiah came to bring God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation in the world. He preached the gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation of man to God and to one another. He healed the sick. He delivered people from demonic enslavement. He fed the hungry. He confronted unjust religious power structures that oppressed the poor um, spiritually and economically. The greatest injustice that's ever occurred in the world seen in the life of Jesus as the innocent one lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died, and he rose again so that we could have life with God. Jesus is the embodiment and the enactment of justice for us. 
the only just one, truly laying down his life in love to forgive the sins of the unjust so that we might be reconciled to God. There is no justice, true justice, apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus then, before he dies, promises his disciples that the same spirit of justice and reconciliation would anoint them. He told them to wait, that he would, that he would give them the promised Holy Spirit, and they would do greater works than his own. And then he breathed on them the, the breath of the Spirit, and the Spirit falls on them in Acts chapter 2 and empowers them to do the same works of justice that he did, works of spiritual and social and cultural and economic renewal that uh, Luke goes on to describe in Acts uh, that literally turns the Roman world upside down. And now this same spirit lives in us, his church, empowering us for the ministry of justice and reconciliation in the world. And so here's my word for us in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, right? Feeling an overwhelming amount of sadness, an overwhelming amount of grief, an overwhelming amount for some of us of anger and frustration and outrage at what we see happening in the world. We are overwhelmed by a public health pandemic. We are overwhelmed by racial injustices. We are overwhelmed in the midst of economic uncertainties and many of us losing our jobs. And here's what I just want to say to us as we engage this work of justice in the world. Only the Holy Spirit can empower and sustain the church for the long game of justice and reconciliation. Only the Spirit. We desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to empower and sustain us for the long game of justice and reconciliation. I know myself right now, I've been in this moment the last couple of days of just feeling, I was sharing this with the elders the other night in our meeting as we were praying and processing together. I feel so helpless. I feel so powerless, right? As I think about how ugly, how pervasive, how multifaceted the problems of racism and anti-blackness are in the hearts and the imaginations and the social patterns and systems of people, including myself, in this country. What we need, and this, this is the place that I believe the Spirit wants us, what we need is to see this as an imitation from the Holy Spirit, right? It's in these moments where the Spirit wants to work in us. It's in our helplessness, right? Like, the Spirit wants to breathe into us this new breath, a fresh wind of God's Spirit, the very life of God, and He wants to convert and transform our weakness, our weakness and our powerlessness and our helplessness into strength, into power. He wants to take incompetence, right? Like we don't know what to do. We don't know how to fix this. And He wants to convert that into the kind of fruit that lasts and that makes lasting change in our world. And we know that like ultimately we won't experience the fullness of this until Jesus comes again and he makes all things new. But in the meantime, Jesus has left us here with his spirit to be about the work of justice and reconciliation until he comes. And we need this empowerment, right? The first spirit came and breathed life, the creative power of life into dead and lifeless bodies. And the second spirit comes to breathe the life of empowerment into his church and into his people. We need this empowerment. Let me give you just real quickly three ways that we, I believe we need the Spirit. If you are struggling, if you feel downtrodden, if you feel marginalized, if you feel weak, if you feel powerless, receive these as words of encouragement, right? The empowerment of the Spirit to you. Here's a couple of ways I think we in this moment need the Spirit to empower us. First, we need the Spirit to empower us to confront the deeper powers and principalities that are animating racial injustice 
in America. Paul says in Ephesians 6, right, like we have to see behind the curtain. We have to understand what's happening is not just legal. It's not just political. It's not just criminal justice reform, although it is those things. It's not just about race and class. There is a deeper battle that we're fighting. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle. There are ugly demonic powers animating, exacerbating, intensifying, amplifying, right? All that we see happening in terms of human institutions and the flesh, right? Like behind that, this is what the civil uh, rights movement leaders, those who are followers of Jesus, understood that it is a spiritual battle. It is a theological battle as much as it is a, a battle uh, of, of criminal justice reform or uh, against uh, different institutions. William Stringfellow, in the first conference on religion and race in 1963, has this to say about the civil rights movement and about uh, racial injustice. The monstrous American heresy is in thinking that the whole drama of history takes place between God and humanity. But the truth, biblically and theologically and empirically, is quite otherwise. The drama of this history takes place amongst God and humanity and the principalities and powers, the great institutions and ideologies active in the world. It is the corruption and shallowness of humanism which beguiles Jew or Christian into believing that human beings are masters of institution or ideology. Or to put it differently, racism is not an evil in human hearts or minds merely. Racism is a principality, a demonic power, a representative image and embodiment of death over which human beings have little or no control, but work, which works its awful influence in their lives. We need Holy Spirit power to confront the demonic powers behind racism that keep us blinded to this present darkness. The second thing that we need Holy Spirit power for is just to be humble enough to acknowledge and repent of our own contributions, right? Like all of us live as Americans as sinful human beings, right? Regardless of your race, regardless of your class, regardless of your ethnic background, we all make contributions. We all um, have things that we contribute to the system in which we find ourselves. And, and the goal for us should be to acknowledge those things by the power of the Spirit to pray, God, open up my eyes to see my contribution, right? Before I just go out and I say, woe is you or woe is this system, I, like Isaiah, say, woe is me. I have sin in my own heart that needs to be excavated. And sometimes I can be so blind, I'm speaking for myself, so blind to those sin patterns. And so we need to acknowledge and repent of things like indifference, right? Like some of us right now, we're so cold, we're so indifferent, we don't even care, we're not moved, right? And, and, and we're getting angry at other people's anger, right? We're getting angry um, at protesters. Some of us, um, we need to be moved. We need to have a righteous anger. If we're not grieving, if we're not angry as we watch these images, if we're more troubled by the presence of protesters and protests than by the reasons why they're protesting, death of image bearers, maybe we need to see this as an invitation to get on our face, to plead with the Holy Spirit to convict us, move us, right? Like Jesus got angry. He got righteously angry. He turned over tables. He kicked people out of the temple. He got righteously angry. He protested injustice. This is a house of prayer, Jesus said. We come as Protestants, 
from a long history of those who protested and fought against slavery and poverty and the mistreatment of immigrants and factory workers and who fought for pro-life causes like abortion and health care and housing for the homeless and care for the orphan. Like it's okay to get righteously angry. It's not okay to be violent, but nonviolent protest is a part of our tradition and it should move us when we see injustice happening in the world. And so sometimes we need to repent of our indifference. Maybe we need to repent of our hidden biases and our prejudices and our assumptions about people of other races and groups. Maybe we need to repent of our life patterns that despite our belief system and our public professions to the contrary, continue to perpetuate racialized patterns in our own neighborhoods, right? Like our lack of true multicultural friendships, um, our, our, our lack of support, like who our kids play with or don't play with or swim with or don't swim with or vacation with or don't vacation with or who our kids go to school with or don't go to school with or the mentors and the books that we read, the people that are shaping our theology, the news outlets that are shaping our view of race and, and class and culture, how we spend our money, who we hire in our companies, who sits on our boards, who we vote for, what legislation we support. Like these are all ways that we can implicitly and unconsciously support and perpetuate racialized systems that put certain classes of people at a disadvantage and oppress them. And so confession and repentance, the Bible says, are fruits of the Holy Spirit. And this kind of repair that needs to happen in our churches and our country can only happen by the Spirit of God living in us, waking us up to these realities, setting us free from self-centered patterns that we've learned from our society and sadly from many of our churches and parachurch ministries. The last thing I'll say is that we need Holy Spirit power to uh, protest and work for change redemptively, right? To protest and work for change redemptively. This rage that we're seeing um, largely, especially in some of the rioting, is a rage without redemption, right? It is a rage that will lead us to places of burnout and violence and hopelessness and despair. And what we as believers and followers of Jesus need is to work and to uh, work for justice and reconciliation redemptively, not compulsively or reactively or violently or vengefully. Right? We, we need the kind of justice and reconciliation that's, that's, that's put together and paired with prayer, that's put together and paired with forgiveness, and that allows us to speak prophetically to worldly powers instead of allowing ourselves to be co-opted by political partisanship and, and political processes and games, right? We need to work redemptively, and we need the Spirit's power to teach us what it looks like to work and to labor for justice and reconciliation in a way that's aligned with the heart of God, not just in the ends that we pursue, but the means and the, and the ways and the tactics and the strategies in which we go about that, the spirit and the posture of the church needs to be one of desperate dependence on the Spirit. What I want to do actually now is just stop, and I want to invite you to listen to some voices in our community. I've asked several members of our church to share with you some of the ways the Spirit is empowering them for the work of justice and reconciliation. So I invite you now to listen and to begin to ask yourself, how, can, how do I need to depend on the Spirit? How do I need to press into the Holy Spirit to equip me to do the work of justice and reconciliation that he is about when he is unleashed and freed up in a community of faith. So listen to these stories. Hi, Selma Church. My name is Tara Bogat, and I am a covenant member here at Selma Midtown. Um, these past couple of weeks um, have been extremely difficult, and I find myself sifting through a range of emotions from anger to fear to grief all at once. And my heart is just heavy 
I know police brutality and the killing of unarmed black men and women have been pervasive in our nation's history from the very beginning, as have many products of racism. And there's a rawness of seeing these atrocities on camera and broadcasted across the country and to the entire world. And I know we're all processing and taking action in different ways. For me, racial justice and reconciliation have been important to me since I was born. As a black woman, a multiracial woman with a black father and a black family, I've seen and experienced firsthand the effects of racism and prejudice, the way that it systematizes and dehumanizes. And even through my experiences, I know that I'm more privileged than many of my black brothers and sisters. And though I grew up in the church, I would not have considered myself a true Christ follower until my sophomore year of college. I was taught about God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I didn't actually understand the heart of Christ, nor did I truly trust in the Holy Spirit until then. And prior to that time, racial justice and reconciliation was separate to my relationship with God and the church. And when hearing about the racial injustices in our country or even seeing it in my home, just made me angry and this anger fueled a hatred and it hardened my heart to the point where it actually immobilized me rather than fueled me into action and I became disheartened to the point where I felt like there was nothing I could do and I was right <laughs> to some extent um, when I finally truly accepted Christ into my heart and began to learn what it meant to be a follower of Christ I realized that I actually didn't care about racial justice and reconciliation. As a sinful person with hate in my heart, I cared about my own pride and the vindication of my people. When I came to be reliant on the Holy Spirit, I finally understood that there's no justice apart from Christ. What is reconciliation if we are not being reconciled to God? Now when I see the injustices happening in the world, when I see the hurt and dehumanization of people, my first response is just to let the Holy Spirit lead. And because I've seen where I go when I rely on my simple self to lead in response to situations of injustice, I know that no true justice happens outside of the work of the Holy Spirit through God's people. The Holy Spirit demands righteous and biblical justice, justice that is everlasting and far outweighs anything that I can think of on my own. And when I find myself feeling hopeless or defeated by the evil in this world, I'm reminded that I have a savior who redeems and I can pick up my sword and follow his lead in the fight for racial reconciliation because I know the war has already been won. Hello everyone, I am Deja Barnes and I'm a member of Soma Indie Midtown. I am the daughter of an African-American man and a Native American woman. Um, so therefore I am biracial. And this has always been kind of a sore spot for me um, from the moment that I was born actually. So the day that I was born, my grandfather who was a Native American, he came to the emergency room to see me as a baby. And he walked in and he did not expect to see a black child nor did he expect to see my black father. Um, in the seat asleep and when he saw that I guess it disturbed him so much that he decided to walk out of the room and not speak to me nor my mom for the next 12 years so this was my the day that I was born was the very first day that I had my first encounter 
with racism. And from that moment, I felt like my blackness was less than and that I was unworthy of being loved. Um, so for the majority of my childhood and upbringing, I always clung to the fact that I was Native American and black. Therefore, that made me not fully black, it made me a little bit more light-skinned than my peers um, at my all-black schools, um, but I clung to that. I clung to it like it was something to have pride in. And all of that changed um, the day that Trayvon Martin was killed and his murderer got off. Um, that day sparked something in my heart that changed the trajectory of my life and I thank God for it. Um, from that moment on, I told myself that I would be an activist and that I would fight for justice in whatever way that looked like. Um, so I became a social work major because I wanted to be an agent of change in my communities. But what happened with that is I became angry. I became bitter. There were things that I learned in my program that I had not been taught before. And as a black woman reading those things, I was filled with rage. So I learned about redlining. I learned about the mass incarceration of black men. I learned about how black people could not get loans. I learned about the education systems and so on and so forth and how these systems were set up to oppress black people. So I started to understand why I grew up the way that I did and why everyone in my town who was black or just like, it just all came to life and I was upset and I was furious. And from that, um, there was this overarching, just like, I'm black, I'm not Native American, I don't identify with anyone white, I don't have any white friends and I don't wanna talk to anyone white. Um, and praise God, let's just take a moment, praise God. Whenever I got into graduate school, so I pursued social work for my master's degree as well, because as we know, you cannot start with social work, you gotta keep going. Um, so I decided to get my master's degree in social work and I met a young lady who introduced me to Jesus and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior on November 25th, 2018. Um, and how that just completely and totally changed my life. And this young woman who actually um, led me to Christ and like helped me get those words out of my mouth and just like accepted him as my Lord and Savior um, into my heart. She was a white um, young lady. Whenever we think about um, being able to collaborate and come together different races and different tongues, when we think about that, we think about what John says in Revelations that every tribe, every tongue, every race is going to come together and bow down at the feet of Jesus. And when we speak the Lord's prayer, we say on earth as it is in heaven. And if that is our prayer, then we need to start being intentional with making that our reality. Let us not wait until heaven to experience diversity. Make it happen now on earth. Um, and God made us new creatures and allowed us to relate in spirit and in truth while worshiping him um, so that we can bring heaven to earth. And unfortunately, this often gets left out of the narrative, right? It's like, I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, how about we bring heaven to earth now? Um, and there are five different gospels, you all. We have Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Christian. And oftentimes people rarely read these four. They only read the Christian. Um, 
And one of the main reasons why Christianity isn't respected today is because we don't act like what we are. We are made new in Christ to bring heaven on earth, but we don't act like it. So let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Soma. When we become Christians, we are neither Jew nor Gentile, black or white. Instead, we are washed and made new in Christ. We are no longer white Christians. We are no longer black Christians. We are no longer Hispanic Christians. Rather, we are Christians who are white and black. When I first started attending Soma, I was very conscious of my blackness in a sea of white faces. And it would be extremely easy for me to leave this church and go elsewhere. But I have to say, I love my Soma family. Oh, I love y'all. The first people I call when I'm in the middle of anything. And I've seen that this weekend. Um, and I love you all so much that I choose to stay and call people in to have tough conversations. And not calling people out, but calling people in to have these tough conversations about race. Because... We are the body. I am your sister. You are my sisters and you are my brothers. And there's no shame in this. There's no shame and there's no guilt. Your guilt and your shame is not what is needed in this time. I am also learning and I don't have all the answers. But what I do have is a desire to learn and better understand. We perish because a lack of understanding church. Read books and the Bible. Don't just consume social media posts. Allow yourself to be consumed and bow down before God and allow him to transform you. So I want to leave you with this verse from Romans 12 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So may your mindset be determined reshaped by the knowledge of the gospel and by the concerns of the age to come. We know that the age to come is when we are in heaven with Christ and we are all bowing down before him singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. So put on the armor of light so that we may fulfill the task God has given us, which is reconciling people to him. It's so encouraging to hear the ways that the Spirit is at work in our community, not just in them, but in many of you. I hear story after story about how the Spirit is speaking and working and leading and guiding. And that's what we want for you, to listen to the Spirit and to pray that the Spirit would teach us as a community, teach us as individuals, teach us as families what it looks like to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to carry within us the burdens of our brothers and sisters, to carry within us the kingdom of God and to be a foretaste to our world something different, an alternative, a radically alternative community than one of injustice and division, but rather to be one of peace and love and shalom. I want to end with this quote, and then I want to pray for us from Tom Smale. Here's what he has to say about uh, this longing that he had. This is my longing for us as a spirit-filled community when it comes to justice. He says this, on the other hand, there are charismatic Christians who constantly seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit but who have yet to show how willing they are to become involved in God's liberating activity in the world. On the other hand, there are social activist Christians who want to liberate the oppressed without receiving the messianic spirit who alone will enable them to do so effectively. Oh, for the day when the charismatics become liberators and the liberators become charismatic because Jesus was both. 
It is within this context of spirit-anointed servanthood that sends you to others to set them free on every level, that the charismatic dimension of the gospel and the right exercise of the gifts of the Spirit can alone be properly understood and healthily experienced. May that be true of us as a community. Let me pray for us. Father, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us, that you would breathe into us that second wind, that second breath that came at Pentecost and allow us to do the works that Jesus did, to allow us to, to be about preaching and demonstrating justice, reconciling man to God, woman to God, man to man, woman to woman, and all over the place. We want to see justice and reconciliation. We want to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God in our world. So God, start with us, start with the church, lead us to repent, to confess, God, would you empower us to see how we contribute to this and to work for change within our own body, but simultaneously to also uh, pray against the powers and the principalities that, that bind us and shackle us and keep people in oppression. And God, would you break those bonds? Would you break those, um, those powers? And we know that you've done that in the person and work of Jesus. So God, help us to live into that. It's already done. It's already true. God, help us to live as that kind of people, and as we move out into the world, God, teach us what it means to be peacemakers. Teach us, teach us what it means to live with the Holy Spirit energized power to do the work of justice and reconciliation in our communities. God, would you take our helplessness, would you take our anger, would you take our sadness, would you take our indifference and convert it into your power, and that we as a church might produce fruit that lasts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.